Hello, and welcome to the Banker podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. In this series, the bankers' editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practice, and innovations that can help banks and their customers manage during these difficult times. I'm Marie Kemple, the Bankers Investment Banking and Capital Markets Editor, and in this podcast, I'm joined by Ben Springett, Head of European Electronic and Program Trading in the Equities Division of Jefferies, one of the world's largest independent investment banks. Thanks for joining me today, Ben. Hi, Marie. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um, Now, of course, this pandemic has had a major operational impact on companies across the world, including, of course, banks. Um, And I imagine not only have the needs of your clients changed during this period, but you'll also have had to, um, the way you work as a bank as well, will have had to shift quite dramatically as well. How has your team had to adapt to the current operational restrictions? Yeah, well, crikey, certainly a bit of a a little bit of an understatement, I would suggest, probably in that regard. Um, We... Jefferies were probably ahead of the curve in, in a couple of instances here, which was you know, thinking back to the end of February as we started to see the situation evolve and, and you know, see what was happening in Asia and China and so on. And we started to take uh, a couple of steps, probably a little bit ahead of, of, of other people. And I think that's really served to stand us in good stead. So initially, what we started to do was to move a couple of people at the end of February out to a disaster recovery site from every team so that we split entirely our two workforces and there was no cross-contamination you know allowable between those two groups of individuals so no joint social events no joint client meetings and so on amongst anybody um, at the same time we started to ramp up the deployment of technology and you know hardware to people's homes so that we started to get people capable of trading from home should the need arise you now this is this is not something we've really had to do previously in the trading floor environment and indeed probably something that we thought was was beyond the capabilities of the current desktop limitations and and also how we wanted to run and manage our teams and our people and so on. Um, But starting before we had to and and placing orders for hardware before the the real rush kicked in really kind of got us into into a very good spot. What we were able to do was actually have a couple of people do test days from home, figure out what worked, what didn't work, what was slow, where the latency was. And then we could have our tech teams start to work to optimize not just the hardware we are distributing, but also you know, the back-end network engineering and so on to figure out how do we ensure that our people can work you know, almost as effectively as if they're in the office from you know, the point-and-click perspective when it comes to latency and so on. So you know, as we started to adapt, you know, the first part of that, I guess, was the, um, the, the technology side or the, the kind of the, the human location side and so on. So you know, we very quickly moved through you know, a couple of weeks of the split teams and a couple of weeks of testing with people at home to, to kind of then really coming into identifying that a lockdown was very likely within the UK, which is where we run our primary business from an EMEA, and therefore, you know, our need to deploy very quickly hardware to everybody's homes uh, was, was absolutely paramount. And, and we got that done ahead of a lockdown phase. So we were able to send everyone fully remote with full access to all of the trading systems, full access to, you know, hardware at home, uh, including telephony, and you know we we know from our clients not all of our peers are able to achieve that. 
So not all of them were able to get, you know, the telephone side of things sorted out. You know, we, we deployed Microsoft surfaces to everybody's houses so they can have a kind of a remote turret solution exactly as if they're sitting on their desk in the office. Um, you know, we have remote access and we've got, you know, two, four, et cetera, screens sent out to people. So they have, you know, similar amount of screen real estate from what they're used to. And so very quickly, you know, we had the hardware side of things sorted. What, what I found you know, more interesting, and as, and as an individual running a, a, an electronic trading team, you know, we're a high turnover, heavy information content type business, and, and that is true of you know, a lot of the trading floor. You, you, really have, you really benefit from the physical proximity to your colleagues because there's, there's loads of information you pick up and loads of conversations that you would have through just kind of seeing people. And if I'm talking to one of my colleagues about a certain situation, then it's actually beneficial for those around me to hear that as well. And they may or may not have something to contribute to that or take away from that. But just by being physically present whilst that's taking place, they can absorb and you know, we can the through the kind of the transmission of information is, is so much easier. And you really take that for granted on a trading floor. So what we found as, as one of the challenges as sort of a, as a manager of a team was how do I try and replicate that now we've worked, it's gone to a fully remote environment. So clearly, you know, instant message groups, you know, IB chat on Bloomberg and internal type solutions, group emails. We had a, a hoop via our phone turret systems and so on. So the ability to kind of transmit information or push information to people was there immediately. But that, that doesn't actually help you when the person you're trying to push that information to isn't in their seat. And for whatever reason, they've gone to make a cup of tea, they, you know, someone's rung the doorbell or whatever it might be, they're not in their seat. In the office, it's second nature to know that the person sitting next to you has got up to go make a cup of tea, you answer their phone or you deal with an alert for one of their client orders or an incoming query or something like that. As soon as you move to remote, you, you can't see, you feel blind. So there was definitely a challenge that that presented. Equally, the challenge of feeling lonely was, was not insignificant and, and still isn't. But one of the things that we found to move and bring a bit more of the, you know, the, the softer and social aspect back to the team and the team unity aspect, as well as delivering a solution for you know, this information flow, be it, you know, kind of bilateral, taking it multilateral, as well as the awareness of people who are at their seats and so on and what they're doing, um, was to move to a full online video meeting running all day, every day. So I'm sitting at home, my home office at the moment, I can see all of my team members sitting at their respective desks. And so therefore, if, if one of them is on the phone, I can see, therefore, if something pings for them or their other line rings, I can see if they, someone else needs to step in to do that. If I want to talk to one of them or one of them has a query about order or so on, they'll un unmute themselves, we start a conversation, everybody else hears that. And I think that it was when we realized the value of this and running this all day, every day, really brought us so much closer together uh, and much greater replication of the trading floor environment, so much so that now it really feels as if there's, there's very little in terms of detrimental effect from being all located at home. So that adaptation, I think, after the firm has delivered the technology, the adaptation of the team workings, I think, really happened on a kind of an evolutionary type basis, but it took a couple of weeks for us to really nail it. 
that's so interesting what you're saying and, and you know there are so many different layers to all of this you know not only is the the importance as you were saying at the beginning of getting the kind of technology and the structures on that side right to ensure the clients were getting a good experience but also as you were saying as you as you make those changes becoming aware of how that's impacting on staff and how the the team are working together as well and i think it's such an interesting time in so many ways and i think it's fair to say no one in today's workforce has probably lived through anything quite like this before although of course there have been many periods of crises and, and economic disruption in the past. How well does this period compare with others in terms of the kind of level of trading activity you've been seeing on, on that side? Yeah, I, th I think it's been, it's a definitely, every financial crisis probably has its own unique quirks and its own, and then the broader similarities. So, you know, from a, from a personal experience, you know, I, I had, you know, a, a little bit of a different view of the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy and the financial crisis on the basis that I was working for Lehman Brothers at the time. So I was merely an observer of the market dislocation that started to occur as of sort of 15th September when on the Monday morning when Lehman had gone bankrupt way back in 2008. But, you know, one of the things to kind of bring it back to the current period is, We've we've been doing a lot of analysis around what I describe as the sort of market microstructure factors, and you know these are the things that really drive the cost of trading for our client base. You know, things like the obvious market turnover levels and so on, but also you know, what are the bid ask spreads doing? What about the depth of order book liquidity? You know how have we seen that change? You know, volatility again is is an obvious kind of driver of, of costs and risks uh, in terms of the trading process and that very uh, understandably has been much higher over this period of time. But we've done a lot of analysis on an ongoing basis through this period as to how these other things have been evolving. So, you know, we saw in Europe, you know, market volumes double, over double probably in the first kind of couple of weeks of March as compared to maybe sort of a baseline January average, you know, up to around 100 billion euros a day versus 40 billion euros a day in the European equity markets. Um, you know, within Jefferies, we're seeing sort of record day after record day in terms of the amount of business that we were doing. Um, you know, we, we kind of hit a couple of records in a row. And then by the following week, we'd actually doubled our new record, essentially, in, in one day's trading turnover. So the, the numbers were, were very, very large. Um, it's probably only, you know, towards the end of April that we saw market volume start to recover to, um, you know, more normal sort of January type levels-ish. Uh, and then we look at some of the other factors as well, so costs of trading, which we track very closely, or increased and so on. Um, and that's that's kind of true of any crisis. But now I think we have people have much greater appreciation of the minutia of, of what's driving, you know, the the kind of the basis point differential we're seeing of implementation of of trading ideas and so on. And that's that's you know really quite important. Yeah, and I think another interesting aspect of all of this as well is that this is probably the first large-scale financial disruption we've really seen in the era of mass electronic trading. I mean, what significance do you think that has had? Has it had an impact on kind of the market dynamics in terms of things like volatility, do you think? Um, well, back, I'm not sure I quite, quite agree, because back in 2008, you know, I was, I was working on electronic trading business. You know, we were doing a huge amount of turnover in the market still back then, you know, over 10 years ago now, was definitely a greater proportion was electronic than was, than was not. So I think that the electronic trading has been around for a lot longer and not prevalent for a lot longer than people think. So what, what we have seen in terms of this, this particular uh, trend, I guess, is when people are, are forced to physically change their location, what does that open up to them? What does it close off to them in the way of channels of, of execution and the optionality they maybe would have ordinarily? Now, we know some, some number of our clients and large clients didn't have phones. 
initially. So they're working from home, maybe only on laptops and so on. If you don't have a phone, it's very hard to deal on a you know, high-touch traditional cash trading type way. So that saw a number of people increase the amount of electronic trading they were doing versus maybe a more traditional mix between low and high touch. Um, we saw some other clients, however, really want to revert back to having additional sets of eyes on their order flow. And so they actually increased the amount of, of high touch trading, reduced the amount of electronic trading that they were doing. So we definitely saw you know, uh, both channels, essentially, if you break it into just low and high touch, increasing with different parties for, for different reasons. Uh, and I think that in terms of what this crisis may do to force people to change, it's really just a question of how do you ensure you give your traders the optionality? How do you ensure they have option A or option B when it comes to making a certain decision based upon what they want at this point in time? So I think if, if people didn't have that initially, they definitely will now. I mean, disaster recovery sites were were not really designed for this type of scenario. You know, they were designed for a, a physical uh, location issue, not a kind of global, essentially, you know, location issue where everyone gets forced to home. So I think that that's, that's definitely forced people to have a whole other view of how they approach these types of, uh, these types of approach, these types of situations. Some really interesting insights there, Ben. Thank you for that. Um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. But And thanks again for joining us, Ben. Um, for our audience, though, you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify or Acast. And you can also follow the discussions at thebanker.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.